As we prepare hearts and minds to hear God's word read and proclaimed, let us first turn our hearts to God in prayer. Holy Spirit, be in this place. For if you are not, then nothing else matters. And if you are, then nothing else matters. And let the people together say, Amen. Our first scripture reading comes from the prophet Isaiah, the sixth chapter. Hear now a word from the Lord. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lofty, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphs were in attendance before him. Each had six wings. With two they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The pivots on the thresholds shook at the voices of those who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me. I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphs flew to me, holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. The seraph touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed and your sin is blotted out. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am. Send me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second reading this morning comes from the Gospel according to Matthew chapter 28. Listen for what the Spirit is saying to us. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember... I am with you always to the end of the age. This too is the word of the Lord. We're beginning a new sermon series today called Divine Myths. We'll explore some common ideas we have about God, ideas that may not be as true as we think they are. Now there's a quote attributed to Mark Twain. He probably didn't say it, but it sounds like him. It ain't what you don't know that gets you into trouble. It's what you know for sure that just ain't so. Sometimes it's the things we think we know for sure about God that get us into trouble. Now, as you know, today is Trinity Sunday, the day we celebrate the Christian doctrine of the Trinity. God in three persons, blessed Trinity, as our opening hymn put it. Now, the doctrine of the Trinity has fallen on hard times these days. It has always been marked by 
arcane speculation and confusion. It has this specialized jargon with words like ousia and hypostasis and perichoresis buzzing around it. And some of the historical debates about the doctrine can strike us as puzzling such as whether or not the Son is eternally begotten of the Father. There, were, there was lots of blood spilt over that one. Or whether the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son or from the Father only. That one, you may know, split the church east from west almost a thousand years ago. And in the midst of all of this angels dancing on the head of a pin hair splitting, it can be tempting for us to ditch the doctrine altogether. But I do think the doctrine of the Trinity is important, maybe not so much as something we believe or even understand, but rather as something we live. To help us make sense of all of this, I propose we turn to one of the great underappreciated theologians of the 20th century, Dr. Seuss. One of my favorite Dr. Seuss books is called, Oh, the Thinks You Can Think. Any of you know this book? Oh, the things you can think up if only you try. If you try, you can think up a guff going by. And you don't have to stop. You can think about schlop. Schlop, schlop, beautiful schlop, beautiful schlop with a cherry on top. On it goes like this, page after page, exploring all the things you can think if only you try. Now, I like this book because it, it exercises the imagination. It stretches the mind with the endless variety of thinks you can think. But there are some thinks you can't think. There are some realities you simply can't wrap your mind around. And I remember discovering this as a child. I heard one day that God was eternal, that God had no beginning and no end. There was never a before before God. Well, that thought rattled around in my little brain all day and, and most of the night. I couldn't sleep. I kept trying to think my way back behind eternity. How could something have no beginning? It was like I was pressed up against a closed door in my brain, and no matter how hard I pushed, it wouldn't budge. Now, obviously, I was a weird little kid. But I found it amazing that I couldn't wrap my mind around such a strange idea. God was a think I couldn't think. Now, this has become one of my most reliable guide, guidelines for thinking about God. If I ever start to think I've got God all figured out, if I ever get the idea that God has settled down and just stays put in my mind, then I've wandered off the path somewhere. If I ever become completely comfortable with my idea of God, if the idea of God doesn't create that same sense of awe and mystery I felt as a child, then I've gotten it wrong somehow. More than 60 years ago, J.B. Phillips wrote a little book called Your God is Too Small. And in it, he critiques popular images of God. God as a, as a police officer watching over us from the sky, ready to punish us whenever we break the rules. God as Santa Claus just waiting to, to deliver whatever gifts we ask for. God as the great puppeteer pulling all the strings and controlling everything that happens in the world. These images, Philip says, are too small. A more recent book talks about some other too small images of God. This book is called God is Not. Not only does it include the shocking claim that God is not nice, 
But it goes on to say that God is not an American or a capitalist or even a Christian. All of these images are too small. The Psalms tell us that God's glory fills the heavens. Well, the heavens are a pretty big place. We don't know exactly how big the universe is, but the diameter of the observable universe is a sphere of around 94 billion light years. To put that in terms we can relate to, that's 540 sextillion miles. Are you all still with me? That's the number, that's the number 54 followed by 22 zeros. That is a think we can't think. If God's glory fills the heavens, God must be more immense than we can possibly imagine. I think that's what this story from Isaiah that Heather read is pointing to. Isaiah has this vision of God in the temple. I like the way Frederick Buechner describes the scene. There were banks of candles flickering in the distance and clouds of incense thickening the air with holiness and, and stinging his eyes and high above him as if it had always been there but was only now seen for what it was, was the mystery itself, whose gown was the incense and the candles of dusting of gold at the hem. And there were winged creatures shouting back and forth the way excited children shout to each other when dusk calls them home. And the whole vast reeking place started to shake beneath his feet like a wagon going over cobbles. The first thing... Isaiah's vision is trying to tell us is that whatever we mean by the word God, we had better mean something indescribable, something mysterious and overwhelming and fascinating all at the same time. Not God the police officer or God the cosmic Santa Claus or the great puppeteer, not God the American or the capitalist or the Christian. Isaiah's divine mystery blows all these small gods away like dust in the wind. God is mysterious and overwhelming and fascinating, a think you can't think. That's the first thing we learn. But notice what happens next. Isaiah cries out, woe is me, I am lost for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts, unclean lips is a euphemism for being sinful. Well then, one of the winged things touched his lips with fire and said, there, there, it will be all right now. Now that's a, that's a remarkable image touching someone's lips. Lips are very sensitive, one of the most sensitive parts of the body. That's why infants are always sticking things in their mouths to check them out. Lips are also very intimate. You don't just casually touch someone on the lips. So here we have, right next to each other, this image of God as awesome mystery and this image of God is intimately close, closer than we dare imagine, closer than our own breathing, touching our lips, forgiving and healing and empowering. Now, empowering for what, we might ask? Whom shall I send, mystery asks. Here I am, Isaiah responds, send me. Send me to tell the good news. Even if it sometimes sounds like bad news, even if it might get me into trouble, even if people don't want to hear it, send me. 
Isaiah was called by the awesome, mysterious, intimate God to be a prophet, to be a messenger, to use his newly purified lips to speak words of hope and life. Or as we heard the call in our New Testament reading, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Go, go. It turns out that God does not stay put safely locked up in heaven. God is on the move, on the go. And we're called to be on the go too. We are called, just as Isaiah was called, to be mysteries messengers, to speak words of hope and life, and not just to speak them, but enact them, embody them, live them. Remember the words attributed to St. Francis, preach the gospel at all times, use words only when necessary. We all have a story to tell. We all have a gospel to write with our lives. And for many people, the gospel we tell with our lives is the only gospel they will ever read. We all have a message of hope and life to deliver. And mystery calls us to go and share it. So here we are. This Trinity Sunday called to be mysteries messengers. And we have this strange doctrine of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one and three and three and one. With apologies to all my theology teachers, I think Isaiah and Matthew tell us just about everything we need to know about the Trinity. The one God, the holy think we can't think, is all at once awesome and overwhelming and fascinating, filling the 94 billion light years of the universe and more with beauty and life and love, and intimately close, closer than our own breathing, touching our lips with healing and forgiveness, and on the move, calling us to be on the move, calling us to be messengers of hope and life to a world in need, all of this, all at the same time, all together. Now that may be a think that's too big to think. But the good news is we're not called to think it. We're called to live it. Whom shall I send, asks the awesome, mysterious, intimate God. May we all answer with our lives, here I am, Lord, send me. Thanks be to God. Amen.